everyone, and welcome to I Hope I Can Make It Through, Degrassi Viewing Podcast. I'm your very accomplished veteran, Donnie. I'm your meh, neophyte Frank. And today we are going to be doing some reflection, relaxing a little bit, and talking a little bit about season three. I know what you're talking about relaxing. These always seem to be our most serious episodes ever. I don't know. I feel like I, I don't have to perform as much because I am not trying to connect somebody typically from cyberspace to our room and all that type of stuff. It's a little more mellow to me. Look, I, I go hard when I'm actually incredibly calm and that's just something I have to deal with. Fair enough. <laughs> um, so before we get too far into discussion, we are going to be talking about season three. Um, so a big content warning because... As you probably know by now, if you've heard some of these episodes, we kind of go all over the place with these episodes. We reflect on the season. And because of that, there are a couple content warnings that we, that are just kind of related to the topics handled in the season. So we are going to be talking about, for example, abortion. We're going to be talking about intimate partner violence. We are going to be talking about sexual assault. We're going to be talking about some of those heavy hitting topics. Um... I'm sure Frank will give more specifics in the description once we've recorded, but do be aware that there was some heavy stuff this season, and we're definitely not going to shy away from it. Um, so if you need to take breaks or skip the episode, what have you, that is totally okay. And uh, we're also probably going to be bringing in stuff from seasons two and one. Mm-hmm. So that entails... Um, that, I mean, you mentioned sexual assault, right? Yes. Okay. Um yeah. Parental related abuse. Yeah, it, it's gonna be, it, it's gonna get a bit rough at times, but we'll try and, yeah, get to get through it. Yeah, exactly. Um, so it's, yeah, I can't believe we've done it. Like I feel like every <laughs> single time I'm always surprised that we're still we're still churning these out. Eh, I mean, we just had our year anniversary episode. Um. I'm not surprised. Yeah, I mean, I guess that's true. I mean, like, this is more of, like, an undertaking than, say, like, Teen Girl Talk is, which is, like, solid hour, but, like, I'm always proud of the work we do here. I agree. Um, You know, I think what... I'm gonna try and make sure I'm not overlapping what I said on our anniversary episode. Yeah, I figured any talk about the podcast will keep kind of brief before we just jump into the season. But, yeah, no, it's just, um... I think it's just, like, okay, actually, I can tie this into actually talking about the season. Like, the mm. first two seasons, there was a lot of parts where I was just like, no, I this <laughs> is giving me chills on how awkward and painful it is. The panther dance, like, a lot of the, like, teen liking each other stuff, I just, like, I can't handle this. This is too much. But now, like, I don't know, they're getting older, and they're moving out of that awkward phase. I feel like the show is taking off more so than before. Like, because people can actually do things now. Like, they can date, and they can, like, you know, drive cars and go places. They have a hangout now. Yeah, like, the world of season three is much more settled. And I think a lot of it has to do with just the way that the season is structured. It's structurally different from season one and two in the sense that it's trying to do a more um, like serialized kind of experience where there's a lot of concepts trying to build up on each other. Plots are like trying to more or less be built off of each other and kind of get picked up again. It, it feels like it's it's in more intentional and is also 
looks like it's trying to give some references to other teen programming tropes of sorts, giving them a hangout and things like that. But it works in a way that's definitely flushing out, like, what is it like to be a kid going to Degrassi? Like, what what do you do in Degrassi? What are your classes like? What are the clubs you're involved in? And, like, what do you do outside of it? And I think it's it's... There's some really good successes this season with that. I think Take On Me kind of embodies it in the sense that it was such a successful episode for many different reasons. But the fact that it had different kids that come from different groups, but they were all flushed out enough and they all had brought something unique to the table that it was a legitimately enjoyable experience watching these kids interact with each other within the context of being on Saturday detention. Yeah. Um... And, like, not only that, it just feels like, it, yeah, the school doesn't feel deserted anymore. Yeah. Like, the school feels settled into. Like, I feel like we've, I feel like we've just finally hit the groove. I agree. Like, and this is, this, this is, we're in this stretch between this season, next season, and the season after. We're really, are really the seasons I think of when I think of Degrassi and Next Generation. Mm. I think that also goes for other fans as well. Like, this is kind of the era where everything kind of fell into place. They were figuring out the formula. A lot of these characters are characters you want to... Or that you're pretty attached to. It's it's not... I'm not necessarily rolling my eyes when I get to a certain character's A or B plot anymore. There's some characters I'd rather not, but like it's not like me groaning during season one every two seconds was always about JT and Toby. Yeah. And I also think that it's a very good example of expanding your cast in a way that's very effective because some of the best characters in this series are honestly some of the later additions. Yeah. Which is really impressive. Like, your core group, yeah, okay, you know. I feel like the reason... I feel like they weren't the, necessarily the strongest but in season one, but also because they were still figuring stuff out in season one, so I don't necessarily fault them, but... I do think that that group was a bit more homogenous. Mm-hmm. I think there were some outliers, but overall, a lot of those kids were like, you know, relatively fringe kids, right? Like Toby, JT, Emma, Manny, like they all, in Liberty, they all came kind of came from a similar social strata. Mm-hmm. And now we are seeing a pretty vibrant community of sorts, even within the main cast. You have kids that are more popular, you have kids that are athletic, you have kids who are alternative, and there are kids that are, you know, just all over. There's so many different types of kids you can go off of now that you are getting a little something different being brought to the table by each and every kid, which I really enjoy. Yeah, and um, now that we have definable villains, essentially, in- Yes. Jay and his, uh, what do we call them, Groonies? <laughs> Something like that. Um, it, it, like, it makes things, mo- it, it makes things make more sense when, like, he shows up to, like, futz around with some plans or whatnot. Well, and then, instead of it just being Spinner, because Spinner was the bully before. Yeah. Now Spinner is just a kid, and, like, Jay will take, like... Jay would do the things Spinner used to do, and, like, now there's clearly defined people. Yeah, there's more of a commitment in in the type of villainry Jay is. And I think sometimes, you know, Jay's over the top and kind of ridiculous, but at least he's, like, pretty definitively an antagonist in this season. Yeah. He, he is the, the 
big bad a lot of the time. It's not this kind of... Because I felt Spinner's bully persona was very half-assed. Yeah. It just was not... It just... It was comical, but to a point that it was like you couldn't take him seriously at all. Jay, I at least could believe could fuck you up. Like, yeah. he's over the top and he's a caricature many, much of the time. But, like, we see him literally see a girl, you know, having alcohol poisoning going, oh, whatever. Yeah. Like... And you believe it. Like, Spinner, I just feel like he he doesn't have that as dark of a impulse that Jay does. Yeah, Spinner would try and help. Yeah. Like, Spinner's still an asshole in, the, in certain areas. I mean, his homophobia, though, definitely grew and changed into something slightly better over the season, still sucked. It's not like Jay, who is is just vindictive constantly toward pretty much everybody yeah <laughs> only humbled by alex i <laughs> <laughs> god i want alex to be more of a central role <laughs> i love alex so much but um yeah, there's a lot of this season's weird um i was talking about it with friend of the show kirsten um and something that we kind of observed about this season is where I feel like season two was very high and low, as in it literally went up and down. It felt like one episode was amazing, and the other episode it went down, and the other episode it was amazing. There's this weird thing about this season where I feel that it's really strong in for decent runs of it, mm-hmm. and I feel like the end was a little weak. I mean, yeah, I think because I didn't want to like pack in a bunch of like heavy plot lines and i think that's exactly it like it feels like they were trying to give like a good like a positive experience for each character and in the process it kind of ended up with these very light fluffy disconnected episodes toward the later part of the season which was interesting yeah honestly i didn't mind those i didn't no 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 (laughs) i think i think some of them worked really really well like i I loved rock and roll high school like Mm -hmm. there's a couple other episodes like that that i think are really well done but it's interesting the way that this season is kind of structured where it feels like they like really went hard for a long for a longer stretch than in season 2 cuz season 2 it felt like kind of like it literally went up and down like there was like one episode that I'm like this is my favorite episode of Degrassi ever and the other episode I'm like what the fuck why is drive here yeah like why is that one here like but i i think overall the quality of this season is higher than 2 but I also think there's a stronger sense of identity within the writer's room, within the, the, the kind of, like, mission statement of the series this season. Um, yeah, I, I, would say, I would honestly say I would give it to because they handled Shout, like, so well yeah. in season two. I feel like that was kind of like them cutting their milk teeth and now they're like, okay, now we can do some, like, other stuff. Because that was the, the heaviest thing we've seen so far. That's true. Like, and then, like, you know, the episodes of Marcos coming out, I feel like, were probably the heaviest things. Like, it tied with um, Manny's abortion mm-hmm. plotline. I feel like those were, like, had equal weight to them, but I felt like they were actually, like, able to handle it. In a yeah. very good way. Well, even think about, like, Whisper to a Scream, which I think yeah. was a fantastic episode legitimately one of the best episodes of the season easily and probably one of the best depictions of self-harm that i really can think of outside of maybe one like now now a book that i read recently um but i think there were some and even like i was thinking like even terry's plot with rick 
is yeah. also an example like where I think they're getting better at telling these stories within a shorter amount of time too. Yeah. Because Whisper to a Scream is a only one part episode. Um, though Terry's plot picks up in about three separate episodes, each episode is only a one part episode. Yeah. And and I would argue they're all like very strong in of themselves. And it's very impressive in that sense. And it's very interesting seeing them. Yeah, like, I think two-part episodes are, are definitely, like, a Degrassi specialty. Like, when you get a two-part episode, you know you're in for something that's done pretty well. Mm-hmm. But the fact that they're now able to tell some of these heavy stories in an effective way in 22 minutes is very impressive to me. Yeah, I agree. Like, it's it's there's some very well-done episodes this season. And they are talking about things in a way that's very, 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 very well with a short amount of time. Yeah. It, it's it's fantastic. Yeah. Um, I, I, I don't have much to add to that. I think yeah. it's summed up pretty well. Yeah. I mean, really, when we start talking about the issues of the season, I feel like a lot of them are kind of just issues that we've had to have with the series for a while. Mm. I think, unfortunately, this season, when it comes to its, like, issues with isms, for lack of better terms, I think this is where this season shows its age. Yeah. Because I think that its missteps with regards toward talking about homophobia, its missteps when talking about race, are very of the time period. Yeah. For example, like, that B-plot where, like, Spinner's afraid that Marco has a crush on him is so, like, of the time period. Like, all the beats of it are, like, what I expect something from 2004 to do. Yeah. Also, I feel that, you know, characters like Chris especially get treated in a way that is very, very much of racism from that time period. Yeah. Um... And I was actually thinking about this on the way over here, about, like, I forget, because we, we just recorded, like, we recorded two episodes last week, recording another episode this week, so they kind of all blend together, so it's hard for me to remember which one, but, mm-hmm. like, at one point you said, like, let's hear it for the Het Boys, and that was kind of my thing, it's just, like, I keep thinking to myself, just, like, they could have done so much better trying to set a kind of an example for, like... You know, straight white men in this show. Yeah, there's not really a model because I would argue season two, Craig, yeah, was a great potential example, coupled with the fact that you have a survivor of abuse who still has, like, you know, who is trying his fucking best to be an okay person and trying to keep emotions in check and trying to do what's right. Like, that's a very real, interesting model that you can have in the show while still showing conflict and still showing strife, right? But season three, Craig takes such a fucking nosedive. And, like, I understand why, and and a lot of it is you just got to roll with this new attempt of, like, how they're doing Degrassi now, but it is a shame to see season two Craig, whom I adore, one of my favorite characters, like season two, Craig is legitimately one of my favorite Degrassi characters, and then you see him become this fucking asshole during season three, doing things that are pretty fucking unforgivable. I mean, yes, he's a kid. You want to believe that he can do better, i.e., Holiday. Like I want to believe that Craig can do better from what he did in Holiday. Meanwhile, Joey is habitual, but even then, it's still disappointing to see. Well, I was even thinking more just like. 
if you showed them conferring amongst themselves, mm-hmm. like, and talking things through, because we've said before, like, we don't, I don't want Paige to have to instruct um, Spinner not to be a, hom- a exactly. homophobe, because that's just a bad example for women. Exactly. But, like, I felt like with Jimmy, Jimmy was such a missed opportunity in this, because mm-hmm. I remember when, um... The second part of Pride, I think oh, it is. I cry when I think about this, yeah. When he, like, you know, comes running up to Marco, and then, like, also when he shuts Spinner down. Mm-hmm. It's like, oh, I wonder if you've ever said anything about me because I'm black. Or, yeah. I'm just like, fuck yeah, Jimmy. <laughs> Jimmy, Jimmy's such a interesting character. I feel like this season I genuinely began liking him. Like, mm-hmm. I feel like the first two seasons, there were a lot, there was a lot of baggage going on in terms of how to approach him. And I think in season three, we finally hit our stride. He's a kind of snarky, kind of snide, but overall <laughs> is a good boy who wants to do the right thing. And he may not always, like, you know, sometimes his, you know, the little voice in his head, like, the little, like, I don't know, devil on his shoulder wins out. But I think overall, Jimmy is a good boy and a good protagonist. When the devil does win out, it's mostly just to, like... Be a, be a jerk. <laughs> be a jerk to somebody who pretty much deserves it. Exactly. Like I think because it's mostly Spinner. <laughs> yeah. Like Jimmy has a shit list. If you're on it, you're not getting off it, and that's just how it is. And and you know, I respect a kid who feels that way uh, because I'm the same way. <laughs> he, he honestly reminds me of um, Daryl from The Office. I've never watched The Office. Okay, well, he's played by Craig Robinson, who kind of realizes everybody around him is an idiot and mm. just kind of like. He's out to, like, get what he, like, he needs and wants, but then he's just like, I can't help myself. Sometimes I gotta, like, I gotta basically, like, make fun of them secretly. <laughs> yeah. No, but I think that's absolutely 100% what, what he is. And I love him for it. But to go back to your, your argument, like, we don't really have a model to kind of go off of. It, like, I think the closest one is Jimmy. Yeah. And I'm glad that he exists. Um, but overall, like, a lot of the boys behave very badly this season. And it's not just like, oh, boys being stupid, ha ha ha. Like, a lot of these boys do horrible things. Yeah. Like, Spinner is a horrendous, like, vile homophobe at one point. Yeah. Like, the shit that he pulls in Pride is horrible. Yeah. Um, the things that Craig does to Manny and Ashley are manipulative and terrible and it's just like sean he's kind of on a kind he's like i hesitate to say he's like a horrible person because i think that there is lost he's lost he's very lost and you know i'm not gonna come down as hard on him the thing is just like when it comes to sean like Yes, it sucked he stole the laptop. Mm-hmm. Yes, like, you know, it sucked he, like, you know, shoplifted that CD, that DVD and got caught and whatnot, but it's just like, you know, Jimmy, Spinner, Craig, they all have people in their lives that are looking after them. Mm-hmm. Trekker looks after Sean begrudgingly. Yep. And is most of the time annoyed and doesn't want Sean there. Exactly. Like, Trekker just abandons his brother. He does. He does. And I understand to a certain extent it's because the, char- the actor, like, probably wanted to leave or something like that because it is his last episode, that episode. But at the same time, it's one of those things where it's like, 
you know, you can t- even beforehand, like, you know, Tracker's trying to bring a girl back and, you know, Sean's there and he's very inconvenienced by the fact that Sean also occupies this space. Like, it's like, go see a Star War. Yeah, like, <laughs> but like, that's the thing. It's like, Sean is just an incredibly lost person and we see how lost he could be because he doesn't have Emma to kind of guide him anymore. He Now he has Jay who has, you know, his own terrible ideas and now he's dating Ellie, and now he's kind of caught between two. In many ways, he's, like, with one of the most, like, Ellie is one of the most, like, morally sound characters in this whole, se- on, the, on the whole, in terms of the group, in terms of, like, her convictions, yeah. her beliefs, her, th- like, you know, things like that. Like, she she tries to do what's right, and, you know, she, she is prone to being catty in support of Ashley and things like that. She's not perfect, but... She reminds me a lot of Lisa Simpson. Yes, yes, yes. Cause, and because I agree with that wholeheartedly. Yeah, because Emma does not. Like, no, Emma is the worst parts of Lisa Simpson, <laughs> or the most more annoying parts of Lisa Simpson. I'd say. I agree with that. Like, because Emma is just a one-note bunch of hypocrisy and wrong idea of good do good in it, good in this. Like, when Sean is throwing parties, Ellie's having fun. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like, like you know, Ellie, Ellie is kind of like, I mean, I think Ellie has a high horse sometimes, but, like, she's willing to get off it, and Emma is just, like, plowing right ahead on it. Yeah. <laughs> like, I think that's the thing. It's like, Ellie can show humility in a way that Emma is incapable of. Honestly, like, yeah, if, let's, yeah I feel like it's a good transition. Let's talk about the girls a bit. I did not care for Emma at all this season. Emma was pretty unforgivable. Yeah. I think the thing about the, the most the most I liked her was when she was throwing Craig and Manny into the deep end with the baby. Yeah, no, that was it. Well, I think the thing with Emma is like it's it's a very hard thing to kind of process because I feel like with Emma there's this foundation of like this is a girl who has like some form of feminist upbringing right like it sounds like spike was trying to teach her some degree of like girl power rhetoric Mm -hmm. and you know she she cites like you know her frustrations with snake being part of the family because like her her last name like the assumption that you know now she has like snake's last name and things like that cites like feminism during it uh and then you also have, like, her just, her having arcs about, like, how men look at her and how that's, like, you know, she shouldn't feel bad for being a woman and things like that. And you have all of these kind of little threads that happened in season one and season two. And then in season three, Emma becomes this, like, kind of conservative puppet. It, I think Terry does to a certain extent, but Terry, I, I'm not as upset by. Terry, I kind of would not be surprised where yeah. I feel like Terry just seems very sheltered and, like, you know, kind of just... It seems like she's kind of just, like, parroting what her dad says. That's the yeah. vibe I get from when Terry talks about stuff. Yeah. But with Emma, it's this different perspective that is doesn't make sense to me a lot of the time because I don't really know where she got it from. I think the thread of her being a, being a kid who, you know, comes from a teenage mom and, you know... I understand she takes the discussion of abortion very personally, but but the problem with Emma is she's such a stubborn character, we never see a moment where she realizes her perspective might not quite be in the right. 
it's everything I think because like she exists constantly on the surface level. Yeah. Like she doesn't exist. Like there's no further conversation. Like like she just says abortion is wrong and like that is the end of the conversation. Exactly. Like nobody ever sits her down and says like hey Sometimes, like, like, nobody wants to talk, like, body autonomy to her. Nobody, like... Well, thank gosh, she slut-shames Manny constantly for how oh, yeah. she dresses. Like, I understand that Emma's not going to be perfect at these concepts yet, and I, I don't mind a contradictory character, but... The thing with Emma is, like, she's not... She's consistently and canonically is not a character who considers other perspectives. We've had Liberty call her out on that. Yeah. Like, she is a character who does not consider the other side of a discussion. And then, to make matters worse with her, she is, like, she is so stubborn and never has, like, a very... Like, she doesn't have a moment of reflection where she goes, Oh, you're right, I was being a dick. And that's the thing, like, if Emma had these thoughts and said them and hurt people, and then afterwards went, you know what? I'm a fucking asshole. <laughs> I would love Emma. Because I think that that would be, like, a good character to kind of see. Like, oh, you know what? Sometimes we do say things, and we do say things, and we don't quite know what we're talking about. We're talking out of our ass. Yeah. But the thing is, is with her, is, like, she never is confirmed by everybody else is talking out of her ass. Yeah. But she does constantly. Yeah. She cared about toilet seats. She had a fucking meeting. <laughs> toilet seats. And the wood that they're using. Hello? <laughs> bigger fish, I'm a bigger fish. <laughs> That's the thing. It's like, I feel like a good example of this mindset and how it's written well and how to address it is Ashley. Because Ashley is a character that we consistently see look at things from only her perspective and think her way is the right way. And then she gets called out on it. Yeah, she got straight called out last season yeah. by Paige. And she's like, you know what? I'm going to learn. <laughs> yeah, like, Ashley has been humbled before. And she does have moments where she is told, like, look, like, you don't know the full story. Like, that's not how this fucking works. And I really like Ashley because of that. Like, I like that she has these moments where she's humbled. I liked Ashley this whole season. I love Ashley. I know Ashley did not do everything right, and I am by no means condoning every single thing that Ashley did, but man, she was great television. Oh, yeah. Wow. I love Angry Ashley. <laughs> Angry Ashley's light years better than Mopey Ashley in season two, and I love it. <laughs> Angry Ashley could hold her own on Pretty Little Liars. Oh my god, yes. <laughs> she's just, she's so good. And like, she has so many funny, like, fucking nasty comments, and like, humiliates people, and like, just lashes out, and I totally get why she's lashing out. It's it's legitimately, like, was really fun seeing seeing her this season. She's just good television. Yeah, um, Paige continues to remain a gem. Like, oh, yeah. Yeah, I felt like she didn't get as much to do this season. I think she was more of a unit with Spinner this season. Yeah. And uh, there's like a double... Oh. Sorry, I, I, then I remembered Wasting Her to a Scream. Yeah, the yeah. She the... does tremendous lifting. The thing about Paige is like, Paige has an interesting note in this season that comes up, I think, to two distinct moments. Where Paige is in situations where she is given horrendously, like, difficult information or scenarios. And she ha realizes she's in over her head. 
I think Whisper to a Scream is a really good example of this, where she, like, you know, she realizes and learns that Ellie is harming herself. She has to decide what the fuck she's going to do with that information and admits, I don't know what to do. Like, Mm -hmm. I love the part where she just looks at Ellie. She's like, I don't know what to do. I think that was, like, such a perfect moment. And then she also has to deal with and process the fact that she knows that Terry is being hurt by Rick. Yes. And... That one, she doesn't handle, like, you know, with as much success. But I, I find it very interesting that that's kind of her thing this season where... And I think with with Paige in general, she's a great supporting cast character. I feel mm. like she's a character that you don't need to be the main focus all the time. I think the actress sells with very little. Like, you give her a line, she's amazing. Um, but also, I feel like she's a character where it is interesting watching her try and be a fixer and realizing that she can't fix everything. Yeah. Um, and we also had um, her dealing in no small part with the Craig Manny pregnancy. Yeah, she was dealing with that and it was so great. Um, she, she handled it pure page. Yes. And then also, she had to deal with the fact that Spinner is being fucking homophobic. Mm. And, you know, she's right in the middle, this is her boyfriend, and then her brother is Dylan. Like, and she didn't do as much with that plot, but there was a moment where she sat him down at, like, the dot and was like, Spinner, stop being a fucking dick. <laughs> <laughs> um, so then we get to Ellie. Uh, I mean, I think, we, I feel like we covered her a bit... No, like, Ellie was just great the whole season. She's a great character. I'm really glad. It sounded like she was a character that they were really gonna feeling out episode to episode. She did well in the second season, and then they went, okay, let's make her, like, a bigger part in season three, and I think it was a great idea. Yeah. I think that um, the actress is wonderful. Um, she just has great looks, and, like, you can tell that she has, like, very good rapport with Marco's actor. I feel like, like, they, they interact in a way that's very charming and delightful, um, I love Ellie in general, I always do, but I think what's really nice about Ellie is number one, she she was dealing with the self-harm plot and I think it was done with a lot of delicacy, a lot of deliberance, and it really worked. But also, you know, I understand that Ellie, if when we like look back, especially if you're a veteran, if you look back on Degrassi and you're trying to like describe a character, I understand like describing Ellie with self-harm is probably a very common thing, common connection. That was one of her major A-plots. But if you want to, you can easily talk about her outside of it, much like in the season. Because you can also say like, hey, like she was started dating Sean and like had to figure that out. Um. <laughs> had that, you know, had to figure out boundaries with Marco. Like she had these interesting interpersonal plots on top of the self-harm. Well, I feel like any good character is somebody you can describe... Like, I saw this thing on one of the Red Letter Media um, reviews of the prequel movies, mm-hmm. where, like, you can describe a character, the the, be- the best characters are ones you can describe without giving a description of what they look like or what they do, as or, like, what their occupation is. Yeah, I think you can easily do that with Ellie. I think you can do that with most of the characters on here. Oh, I agree. I think he, he very much so easily, easily, easily. I think it's a little easier to do that with TV characters than movie characters, though, I will say. Yeah. Um, but, like, with Ellie... Uh, honestly, when I think of Ellie this season, I don't even think... Like, don't think that hard about the self-harm plotline. Because I think it's an organic addition. Yeah. It, it, it was not something that is, like, you know, everything kind of goes black and white and then we see this tragic image. Like, I think that 
it's just a part of her. Like, yeah. she's dealing with a shit situation. This is how she copes with it. Like, she, she has a mother who is, uh, you know, who's an alcoholic. Her dad is in the army, and things fucking suck. I would have loved, though, if they had, if she had brought that up during the nonstop partying. Yeah, that would have been nice. Because it's just like, yeah, as somebody who's been around alcoholics and, like, I went to college, and it's just like, oh, everybody's acting this way. It's not fun. Yeah. yeah, I think that would have worked. I think also sometimes I do wonder if the writers are apprehensive to kind of go too hard into some of those aspects if it's not the character's A plot or B plot. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Where I think that the writers sometimes don't go into that detail because probably the rationalization is, hey, like we don't want to lose spotlight from this character. But I also feel, unfortunately, in general, I think Sean's plots in general are done very, they're the weakest. I just feel like there's a lot of potential with them and the writers never quite meet it. Yeah. Especially because I feel like there are characters like Sean in other forms of media and are done far better. And that's kind of the thing that I... I think that's really the thing I struggle with with Sean. Where If I looked at his episodes in a vacuum, I probably wouldn't be as upset. But I think the thing with him is I inevitably associate Sean with, like, Tim Riggins from Friday Night Lights and other kind of those bad boy types, and they're done in a way that is just way more engaging. Yeah, I mean, he's not really there for a lot of it. No, and I understand why, but it's just, I think that they don't explore his lack of identity enough. Yeah. I think that's kind of the misstep where they, they write Sean very much in the moment, like whoever he's with, this is who he is now, as opposed to looking at this the tragedy of this character, which is that he is so lost, he doesn't know who he is in so many ways, and because of that he behaves reflective of his group. The, yeah, I really think it's also because they do a disservice to him, because like at the beginning of the season we see him defending Toby... Mm-hmm. And like whatnot, and he's hanging out with G- like JT and Toby, and then he and he already does look like some Shawnee. Yes. So we just kind of assume this was something that happened over the summer. Yeah. But my thing is like, Toby at one point wants to reconnect with Jimmy, and I get that, but I was just like, but you don't want to reconnect with Sean. Like, you're just yeah. gonna leave Sean to the wayside? Like, JT... And, like, that could have been an episode of JT being like, I'm part of the popular crowd now. I don't need Toby and Sean anymore. Mm-hmm. Like... But, like, Toby could be like, yeah, we were kind of like a unit back in the day. <laughs> yeah, no, it's true. It's... It's interesting and kind of frustrating because I feel like certain relate like it's weird because i feel like sometimes degrassi has these beautiful notes and they go back to them and they develop these relationships and then there's some that just just disappear like they don't matter they never have any like they have no reverence and no nothing in terms of how the how the story operates like what the fuck happened to toby and kendra as a relationship the same thing that happened with Emma and Toby apparently over that last summer. Yeah, like, what the... There's so many weird things about certain relationships that just disappear. Like, don't even have a definitive end. Don't have a breakup. They just expect you to forget that it ever happened. I mean, there's a mention of them at some point where, like... Doesn't... Is this, is this the season where Toby says at some point, that's why I love you? 
to Kendra or something? I think that was like the season finale of season two or something oh. like that. I think it was at the tail end did of they, season two. Did they even have a scene together in the season? No. All right. <laughs> we'll talk more about this later, but it was a, yeah, there's like, it's really interesting and kind of frustrating seeing how certain threads just kind of stopped, like they just got cut, but like there's no definitive end point to them. Like that's what I always am confused about. Like I don't mind plots getting dropped, but I always hate when they don't at least acknowledge it. Yeah. It's like, just tell me it's dropped. Don't make me kind of sit there flummoxed for like a whole fucking One season. line. That's all you need. Yeah. One like that's how I feel. It's like, I feel like if I, if I have to deal with certain stupid plots, like surely you can give me a throwaway line about a relationship ending. Yeah. But. I mean, that's what they did with Toby and Emma. Yeah. Like just give me like some sort of throwaway thing. But I don't know. Relationships were a big focus of the season two, which was kind of interesting. Um. Some relationships did better than others. Some relationships I'm kind of excited to kind of watch develop. Others, I don't really fucking care. <laughs> but, I mean, this is also the nature of teen dramas, right? They're all about the relationships. Um, some relationships I like a lot more than I thought I would. Um, but we'll also see as next season happens, as the season ap- after happens, how much I'm going to feel about them. I know... At some point soon, we're entering the soap opera era. Is that season four? I think it's season four. Okay, well. <laughs> so, but get I mean, ready. But my thing is, though, people, like, somebody once said of Mad Men, like, this is just an upclass soap opera, and I was like, I don't care. <laughs> I love a good soap opera. Like, look, like, I love drama. Like, I love just, like, you know, all structureless conflict. Like, I watch reality TV for fuck's sake. Like, I enjoy this type of shit. Like... Sorry, I'm just laughing because now Susie and I have taken to whenever we go home, we make my dad endure a double shot of love. Ooh, that's good. I still haven't watched it yet. I have to. It's bonkers. I mean, just the premise of it. It's just like, I'm not going to go into this on the uh, air, but like I've recently, with friend of the show, Joey, decided to watch like we... We, whenever we would visit each other, like, we would watch Jersey Shore. And it's weird. Like, it's a very weird show to revisit. Like, there's moments of it that are incredibly dark, but also, like, there's this... Uh, I don't like speculating about real people, but there's something incredibly tragic to me about Vinny and Polly D's relationship in the sense that, like, it's like, this is what toxic masculinity looks like. It's that they can't be intimate with each other without one of them, like, making a homophobic joke about it. It's like they can't process the fact that they're two dudes that are fond of each other because, like, Italian masculinity is fucking evil. I'm not going my eyes what you're saying. Well, my eyes had the shittiness of masculinity. Yeah, yeah, but, like, Italian-American-flavored masculinity is its own bucket of hell. I, I, I agree with you. Um, but it's just, like, I also... My dad is, like, the exact opposite of that. I know. You're very you're very lucky. You've, he is one, one of a kind, truly. Uh, good old Hugo. But seriously... <laughs> I'm also glad I did not get named Hugo. There was a brief moment my mom wanted to name me Hugo Jr. You don't look like a Hugo, but I don't mind the name Hugo. <laughs> my dad was just like, no, not my son will not go through the same hell I did. Oh, dear. <laughs> that's why he goes by Victor. Oh, okay. So Victor Victor Hugo. Good well, that's, what, that's what he was named after. Ah, like His um, brother was named after Charles Darwin. 
Interesting. Is my uncle's name is Darwin? Huh. Because my my grandpa Anthony wanted like a them, library of children. Wanted them to do great things. So okay. Named another great man. That's very sweet, actually. Yeah. Aw. I'm Franklin Anthony. So named after my pater- maternal grandmother, grandfather, Franklin. So. Ah, nice. So yeah, little Frank trivia for you. Yeah. <laughs> um, but speaking of um, <laughs> Italian Americans, that's kind of like my nadir of this season is that horrible, horrible date. Well, that, that part of that horrible, horrible date. Woof. <laughs> um. Oh God, Marco. We haven't really talked that much in in this thing about Marco. I mean, quite frankly, you could just listen to our backlog and hear all of our thoughts about Marco, um, because we have a lot. But it's, uh, there is this interesting thing about him in the sense that it's like, oh boy, Uh, there's a lot about Marco that is just very real and true, and sometimes it's real and true in a good beautiful way and sometimes it's in a horrific way Mm. and 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 i think the way that something that was very fascinating this season was how people reacted to homophobia slash like reacted to him or you know gay people in a homophobic way slash the way that he was treated this whole season was fascinating yeah. Like the the homophobia that was in that restaurant scene gave me like made me freak out, but it was because like my dad is the same fucking way. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like it was very real. And like which is rough when you're Italian American, like you want to believe that there are like, you know, there are there definitely are good Italian American people, but you can't deny that a lot of our elders mm-hmm. are terrible. Mm-hmm. And it's interesting, it, it really, like, with Marco, there's there's this moment where I feel a connection to him far deeper than other LGBTQ characters because he's a character who is struggling with cultural identity in the process and being like, you know, I like, like, you know, Marco, like, likes making pasta with his mom and things like that, or, like, you know, or going home to his mom's pasta sauce and things like that. Like, he has, like, connections to the culture and he doesn't, you know, he doesn't resent the culture itself but he still has to confront the fact that like you know there is a homophobic quality to people within it the culture feels like home but it's not making a home for him precisely and and that was a struggle that i really really i still deal with like as as a person who is italian american like it's really fucking rough like, when you are a queer, trans, Italian-American, where you're like, I like the culture, like, you know, it's a part of me, I was raised this way, and had these traditions, and I really like them, but also, like, <laughs> uh, I'm disowned for a reason, and I hate the Catholic Church, and, like, all of these types of things, but I really like stained glass, and it's complicated, <laughs> and, and it's kind of fun seeing Marco... Or not really fun, but so much as, like, it's important to see Marco as a character who's kind of feeling in a a similar brain space. It's also just interesting because Marco, I mean, we've said this before, I don't want to repeat it, things like that. It was fascinating seeing how the boys on the show othered Marco Mm -hmm. in the sense that, like, they considered him, like, feminine, but also, like, they considered it 
a Marco thing to care about other people's feelings, basically. <laughs> it's like Craig has a moment of self-awareness. He's like, oh, no, I'm thinking like Marco now. Like, I can't do that. And and it's... <laughs> As guest of the show, Quinn says, kindness is a gay dream. It really, truly is in the world of Degrassi. And it's, it's just like one of those things where it's just... It's it's very it was a very interesting, very layered experience happening throughout this season where it it feels like a more I don't know what it was. Like I don't know how they pulled it off, quite frankly, because we have seen Degrassi fail with a lot of marginalized identities in many ways. It's very interesting to see how well done his character is and how it still holds up so many years later. And, like, it's such a range of people who, um, of acceptance. Yeah. Because, like, at the far, at the, like, the far end you have Jimmy, Mm -hmm. who immediately is just like, all right. (laughs) Yeah, like, doesn't mind touching him, things like that. Like, is not afraid of it, is not afraid of intimacy with him. I don't think Jimmy makes a single, doesn't, like, make a single joke about it the entire season. (sighs) The only, only thing that I would fault Jimmy with is that B-plot with him, with Spinner, Marco, and him, where he's just like, well, you guys are going to sleep in the same room, peace. And part of that just kind of feels like Jimmy being a scooch. But there is a part of me that is a little, like, you know, like, oh, that's kind of dangerous for Marco. (laughs) But also, like, I understand why a teenage boy makes that decision, especially one like Jimmy. Yeah, the thing is, like, with Jimmy, I don't think... I think Jimmy's accepting of Marco, but I don't think he understands everything about Marco's He's world. still learning, yeah. yeah. He, he's, he's still a straight boy, and he's still, like, you know, he's still, like, very young, and, you know, he, even though he seems like a kid who's pretty well-versed for, a, for someone his age in LGBTQ stuff, this is probably his first time actually interacting with somebody who's LGBTQ, like, so it's a bit... Yeah, it, it's, it's... It's ignorance, it's and malevolence, but it's not malevolence aimed at Marco. Like he's not trying to get Marco hurt. He's just trying to make Spinner uncomfortable. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's 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 tricky, but he's definitely like on the better end of the spectrum. Probably one of the most on that end of the spectrum. Then in the middle, you got Craig. Yeah, Craig, who has some pretty like I like the moment in the woods with. Him and Marco, I thought that was a really fun scene. That was probably one of the only moments I really liked Craig the whole season. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and you know, he he's the one that, like, can't... Like, he's like, what do you mean I have to consider other people's feelings? That's a gay trait. <laughs> like, who cares about sympathy, empathy? I don't give a shit. That's a gay trait. Um, and then, of course, at the tail end, you have Spinner. Yeah. Who does make at least, like, one notch closer to Craig... Yeah. By the end, because, like, one of my favorite bits from the last episode is after, you know, Degrassi's natural, like, most potent enemy fire breaks out. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Like, um, Spinner takes some time out to comfort Marco and just be like, come on, man, like, people are having fun. That's what you wanted, right? He also did orchestrate... Marco getting a date with Dylan. Like... Yeah, but, like... But then at the end, like, Marco grabs Spinner's hand. Yeah. And just pulls him into dance. And I'm just like, fucking finally, Spinner. (laughs) Yeah, like, Spinner really does have an arc. And, like, I understand that people still don't 
support Spinner after that. Like, I, I respect people who feel that way and are like, look, like, that still doesn't outweigh the hurt that he caused. Mm-hmm. He did some fucked up shit. That's true. But I do appreciate from a storytelling perspective how, like, you know, showing somebody who starts off, like, really not taking the coming out well and kind of coming around to yeah. it. Not to say that, you know, Marco is entitled to accepting Spinner because of that or anything, but I do think it's an interesting storytelling perspective. Yeah. And and it, it's, it's just, it is very well done in the sense that, like, you know, you come out and not everyone's going to react the same way. Period. Yeah. Like, that's just how it is. And Marco is a very interesting character because of his mutability. He, you know, we see him with the girls, we see him with the guys. He, he has, like, you know, best friends in... Like, uh, he has, like, mixed-gender best friends of various, like, you know, various sorts. He's very close with Ellie, but then he's in a band with the boys. He, you know, he, like, hangs out with, with like, groups of girls. Like, it's just, it's interesting seeing him occupy the amount of spaces that he does. Yeah. And it's well done. Yeah. A, a lot of Marco is well done, and I'm still, quite frankly, like, entirely shocked of how well done it is. I mean, yeah, like, we still haven't quite, I've, I've been racking my brain trying to find somebody as well done as Marco, and it's really hard. It's it's hard because I think that it's, it's what, when we, I feel like when we talk about writing marginalized characters, I think the trickiness in talking about the marginalization is that in where writers falter sometimes, if they're writing from outside of the marginalized group, is how much that occupy like how much your marginalization impacts everything mm. and i think with marco it's a really good example of how being gay impacts how you interact in school how you make friends how you view yourself how you like you know how you dress how you present yourself the words that you use like i feel like like toe to tip basically like he he is a gay character <laughs> I'm, I'm sorry i know i had to toe to tip he's a bart <laughs> toe to tip that's a gay character <laughs> but uh toe to tip that's marco my son but like oh I, my god that would be amazing if we start using that for well-written like LGBTQ character. That'd be so good. But, like, I think that's the thing. It's, like, I think that when I, I was reading a really good thread talking specifically about, like, you know, young adult books and, you know, young adult books sometimes have white writers write, like, a, uh, you know, a person of color as a love interest. And how it it's the, the care, and in a way, it's to kind of allow the writer to not have to really submerge themselves in the potential like life of that character mm-hmm. it gives a distance and you don't actually like write the character in a way that is fleshed out like they just kind of for all intents and purposes come off like a white character but then something like you know once in a while they'll mention like having curly hair yeah and, and i think that that happens a lot whereas i feel like when we, like, a well-written marginalized character, like, that does impact everything about them. And it doesn't have to be in, like, a bad way that, like, oh, it's always going to be about, like, you know, the bad shit that happens to you. 
but it does impact the way that you present yourself, the way that you speak, the way that you interact with people, the way that people interact with you, like the way it, everything basically. Yeah. And I feel like with Marco, that's a good example of how marginalization impacts everything about you. Yeah. Um, because it's like Marco's, um, and I'm, like, Marco's, like, arc through this whole season is not just made up of the moments, like, where he gets jumped. Yes, yes, exactly. also just, like, the little aggressions here and there, like, that he has to deal with. Like, people throwing around homophobic slurs and, like dealing with his father mm-hmm. like and even and i think it was really good that dylan kind of mentioned at one point like you know we've heard worse meaning that like this is a sliding scale basically like you got your microaggressions you got your macroaggressions you got the moments that you decide to let slide or you make a face and the moments that you genuinely have to process and say something about yeah. and and i think that it was a very good way to see in the whole entire season see those little moments that are pretty irritating but you can move past and like you know genuine terror quite frankly like that bashing scene is terrifying to watch when him just yelling at spinner they saw me and knew like broke my heart that scene that moment is powerful like it's extremely powerful it's it's um i feel like it's a pretty underrated scene in terms of marco as a character and and in terms of how his character is written um i think that there's just something very hard about that and like that's what i really was impressed by with marco and you saw flashes of this in season two but you really saw it in season three him processing how he views himself Mm. and him processing you know how he is and how he is seen and how much he can actually control and how much he can't there's this great internal struggle within him that i think that we you know don't always need to see from lgbtq characters i i think that there is power in having a character who is out and sure of themselves there is power in having a trans character who is transitioned and not going through a lot of those those types of turmoils there's there's power in having those characters and they should be written but i do think this is a very good self-realization plot Mm. it's a very well done one it's a very well done coming out narrative and it this also i feel like is a triumph because the character continues it's not just like oh we have a very special episode they come out nothing happens like everything happens after coming out this actually looks into how like oh you come out that doesn't mean like it's still gonna be weird and difficult like don't worry just wait until you actually have to date the boys that you're into (laughs) wait until you meet real boys (laughs) and that's what i love about it Wait until people realize, oh, you have a crush on me. <laughs> yeah, like, wait until you're navigating that shit. Wait until you're wearing a Toronto Maple Leafs hockey jersey. You don't know dick about shit. <laughs> oh, God. My gaby boy. Oh, our sweet, sweet boy. I love him. We ready to start kind of picking this apart, going into highs and lows? Yeah, sure. All right. We've got about an hour, so. Yeah, so let's do our section, which I hope I am going to write, put in the right inflections of, which is our first section, which is things that make you go, ooh, <laughs> and things that make you go, huh? <laughs> um, 
Things that make me go, ooh. Um, I forget why exactly. Um, I, I get the context now of why I said, ooh. Um, oh, no. Things that make me go, ooh, like a audience member from a crappy, like, 90s sitcom was the entire uh, Marco Dillon romance. That was my ooh as well. Um, I think the <laughs> Are real... Are we doing this again where we're just going to keep... Yeah, we might, it might just be a, another one of those. Uh, but I think the reason why I went ooh toward it was, um, and I talked about this in, in earlier episodes, like there is this lack of fear of sexuality in the way that Marco and Dylan talk about each other. Yeah. Like they are into each other. But it's still age appropriate. And that's what I love about it is like there's not a fear to have these characters be interested in intimacy. But it's also not in a way that's inappropriate or weird or like, oh, this is not this is not meant for teens. This is why thirty year olds are playing these characters. Like <laughs> it still like has a sincerity and an innocence of sorts to it that I don't feel uncomfortable thinking about it, talking about it, watching it. Like, it's like, oh, no, these are two kids that are just into each other. Good for them. Like, that's how I feel. <laughs> yeah, because I feel like um, it's just like with, um, you know, you watch something like Riverdale or something else, people like, oh, man, I really like his rock hard ass. Or like, I feel like a normal teen show they, or a normal teen person, they just be like, I think they're really cute. I want to smooch them. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's it's one of those things where it's like, I just... Like, all that shit's so horny. And, like, it's exhausting. And it's not to say that, like, I don't like a good horny program. Like, some programs are fine and good and, and horny. But, like, the last place I want to think about that stuff is when my protagonists are, like, teenagers. Yeah, like, I was a teen... Like, I, I hung out with het boys and, like... Even they weren't that bad. Yeah, like, and I want to be clear. It's like, it's, I, I don't believe that, like, I mean, clearly, because I'm talking about how I like how Marco and Dylan were written. Like, I'm not saying that teenagers have to be chased. I know they're yeah. not. I know. But mm. I, it, it goes into, I think, the discussion that happens within fandom spaces, within YA, within, like, all this type of stuff. Like, there are, you know, there's storytelling, and then there's just, like, you know, trying to be um, titillating, right? Yeah. Like, there's a difference between you having characters, like, you know, have sex, and it's, like, a moment in their characterization, and it's, it's something that is part of the story, and, like, a t clearly, like, titillating, like, erotica-level sex scene. Well, even beyond that, I mean, just the language that's used, like, yeah. I feel like it's just constantly, like, I want to do this, this, and this, and, like, if somebody got into that much detail with me as a high school, I'd be like, alright, cool, I was like, no, hang on, this person again, I do not need to hear this. Yeah, like, I feel like there always is somebody who's pretty, like, into that stuff and pretty explicit, but I feel like a lot of the time, like, the person's like, that's really weird. <laughs> like, yeah, like, nobody's gonna be like, yeah, 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 I wanna hear more, yeah. <laughs> yeah, like, it's usually like, uh, there's that person. Like, I feel like that happened when I was in high school. Like, there was this one girl that was, like, very lewd in how she talked about stuff, and we were all like, uh, <laughs> like, we're 16 and scared. <laughs> and you could, a lot of times, I would, be like, I would just correctly be like, that's the person who hasn't had sex. <laughs> right. Like, it was, nothing, nothing wrong with that, but you're just kind of no, like, you're talking a lot mouth. of games. Yeah, like, they just <laughs> run their mouth. But, like, yeah, no, to go back, like, I really enjoyed how Marco and Dylan's relationship was laid out and how there were these moments where these characters were like, yeah, I could see myself, like, hooking up with them and things like that. I thought it was very well done. Yeah. Uh, things that make you go, huh. 
Mine was, are we supposed to just never talk about the fact that Toby and Kendra dated ever again? I, I mean, I'm assuming because Kendall's just gone. I know. Well, we'll get to that in our in memoriam <laughs> section. But what the fuck? <laughs> that just kind of ended. The thing was, was like, it was just so weird. And like, not in the sense, like, I understand why the relationship happened. But then it's just like, they put all this energy into them getting together. And we don't even have a decency of watching them, like, break up. It was just like... Mm. <laughs> we don't get the decency of Kendra being like, Toby, I'm leaving you for sports. Yeah, right. Like, I don't even get that moment. Toby in general, <laughs> though, was so sidelined this season. Yeah, it's it, like the, it was a nice change. I don't, well, have, I don't have anything against Toby. Like, I like his, I like his character. I like the way the actor portrays him. Mm-hmm. But it was just like, there was a reason, like... We kept saying in season one, it's all about Toby, because it was all about Toby. Yeah, it's weird, because it's like, there's a part of me that wants to see him... I don't know, like, it's hard. I, 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 there's a part of me that kind of feels like, you know, maybe we need to... Do, like, maybe the characterization of Toby just needed to be entirely torched and redone. Because mm-hmm. there's a part of me that just feels like the foundation wasn't great. He, he went from just, like, so overwhelming everything to being too sidelined. They yeah. Had, like, I felt like with every other character, they had a nice mix mm-hmm. of... And, like, you know, I would be like, well, I want more Marco. And I want more Ellie because well, I love those two. you like them. <laughs> like, I'm like, you know, I was just like, yeah, I saw enough of JT. I didn't see too much of JT. I saw enough. Like, I saw enough of Paige and, like, every character. But Toby was just kind of just hanging out. Yeah, like... He, he's like the coleslaw at, like, for your cheeseburger deluxe. You're just like, yeah, you're there. I'm not gonna do anything with you. <laughs> I would eat the coleslaw, but that's just me. I'll, I'll pick at you a bit, I guess. Yeah. I mean, the thing about... Yeah, like, that's the thing about Toby is, like, I just feel like maybe he was a character that just needed to be just entirely, like, started over. Like, maybe he just was a character who needed, like, a Craig treatment of just, like, season three, just an entirely different character. Just operate as if, like... He's just not the same entity as he was the two seasons prior. Because it just kind of seemed like they were in a hole. They didn't know what to do with him. The episode where he's trying to get back in Jimmy's grace is also the episode he's trying to get back on the show. Yeah, right? But, like, (laughs) there's this weird, like, flaw. Like, I think the thing was is, like, they didn't give him enough. Like, it's weird. For all the time he was on, he was, like, never really able to be a truly likable character in many ways. Like, I feel like he's not a character that, like, when I see him, I want to see him interact with anybody. It's not even like, oh, I want to see him have these moments with someone. Yeah. I I feel nothing toward him in so many ways. (laughs) Like, he either annoys me or I feel nothing. And and I don't think there's anything the writers could do other than entirely, like, reconstruct him. Yeah. But it was, it's weird. Um, the thing that made me go, huh, was, um... Just so many things about Paige and Spinner's relationship. It's a weird one, because there's a part of me that really likes it, and there's a part of me that's like, but I I don't know, I don't find them as huh to me, because there's a part of me that just kind of feels like, like, this is what it's like when teenage girls date mediocre boys, they just kind of (laughs) just plow through the floss. Yeah, we've had this discussion before. Yeah. But it's just like, there's just so much that I'm just like, why isn't this causing at least strife, like, between them? Like, why aren't we at least seeing an argument? Like, I don't need her to, like, re-educate him, but, like, I do need her to be like, look and, listen, you need to cut this shit out. (laughs) Like, my brother, like... 
Hun, I've written you a call-out post. <laughs> oh, God, she'd be brutal on Twitter. I'd be terrified of... A, no, Tumblr page would be... Fucking hell. <laughs> so. It'd be horrendous. Um, this is why Next Generation couldn't exist with social media. <laughs> um, but let's move on to our least favorite episode. So, my least favorite episodes, I had to go with what were my least favorite episodes when I was a kid, which was episodes 11 and 12, Holiday. I fucking hated these episodes. I hated them because I thought the A plot and B plot were too fucking similar. I thought that it just made me hate a lot of characters a lot more or feel terrible for a lot more characters. I also just felt like the vibe of it just wasn't a Degrassi episode. It didn't play like I would want a Degrassi episode to be and what I would expect the formula to make. I just kind of felt like it was written in a way that it just didn't read right to me. And it also was just an episode that I despised and talked about at length on the episode of it. But it just, it didn't work for me. It didn't work for me then. It didn't work for me now. I mean, yeah, no, I did not enjoy those episodes either. But, like, the ones that hurt me the worst were the Against All Odds, Never Gonna Give You Up, and Don't Dream It's Over Trilogy. I was very torn. I almost put um, Against All Odds as my least favorite. I almost did. But then I decided Holiday, like, made me, like, see red. So I went with that. It's just, like, with those three episodes, yeah, like, Holiday is just bad and all around, but just, like, those three episodes just... It was a trial to get through them. Well, like, were they a trial because they were hard content? Hard content. Yeah. Cause like, but, you know, structurally and everything, like, Holiday is is the new drive. It's technically just bad. Yeah. I just remember being so mad at it because it just doesn't... Even, like, I feel like mediocre Degrassi episodes, they happen, you know, they suck, but... Like, they still are Degrassi. Like, I don't deny them from the canon. Mm -hmm. Holiday comes off in a way that, like, it canonically does not make any sense to me in the sense that, like, the voice of it, it's just not what I expect Degrassi to sound like. Yeah. Um, but going to top of the class, favorite episode. Here's, here's a twist for you. I know you don't like, I know Don't Dream It's Over hurt you, but I would argue that's one of the best episodes of the season. And that's the thing. I'm not saying they're bad episodes. Yeah. Like, they were very well done. But I think that's top of the class for me. I think that's the best one. And here's my argument for it. Mm -hmm. I think there are other episodes with better A plots. I think Whisper to a Scream is a really good A plot. I think, um, uh, fuck. Um, I think other episodes have stronger A plots. Of course, I'm blanking out on half of them. But I think this one had the best A-plot, B-pop combination, which is why I bumped it up. Because mm. the A-plot is that situation with Rick and Terry and Paige and Spinner. And the B-plot is Ellie learning boundaries with Marco and Sean. Mm. And I thought that B-plot was really fucking good. And I think both of those, a, the A-plot and B-plot were complementary to each other. It was an incredibly ambitious episode, but they pulled it off. And I think that it was the most cohesive of the episodes with strong A plots. Yeah, no, I, I do agree with you, but like... That's fine, you could have a different one. I really like It's Raining Men. It's okay, It's Raining Men is definitely one of the better lighthearted ones. I think Rock and Roll High School has my heart. <laughs> even though I don't like that Craig won. <laughs> but um, I still love that episode. I think It's Raining Men is such a delight. Um... 
I think there, like I said, I think there's other episodes that are very good in this season. Um, it's interesting because I feel that Accidents Will Happen gets a lot of hype with critics, which we'll talk about in a little bit. I didn't love it as much as I loved or appreciated other episodes. I think that that one, though, is important in narrative, like how we talked about like abortion episodes and things like that. I think it's a very important episode. But I do feel that there are other episodes that handled controversial issues mm. better than Accidents Will Happen. Yeah. But I think also this is the luxury of time, right? Like, we can look at this in 2019 and be like, oh, well, you know, we can pick it apart a little better. Back in, you know, 2003, 2004, this is one of your only games in town. <laughs> it's done very well. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, um, let's move on to In Memoriam. So. <laughs> Saying goodbye to characters. Yeah. Um... There are a few. Who do you want to start with? I mean, let's go through. So there's a couple Degrassi originals that appear in this season. We'll kind of breeze through these because, Frank, I know you don't really know these characters. Um, the twins, Erica and Heather, make an appearance in this episode, in this season. It's their final one. Goodbye. I did not even know they were on the original. You're right. Yeah, you didn't know. Um, <laughs> Wheels makes an appearance. Wheels. I remember Wheels. <laughs> Yeah, which... I remember being angry about wheels. Uh, yeah, which a uh, lovely person in our Facebook group linked me to a deleted scene from uh, this from the series, the actual, like, it was aired in Canada, but not in the U.S., so of course on YouTube we didn't see it, which is Wheels talking to Lucy about what had happened. So um, we'll definitely, we're kicking around the idea of watching some of those deleted missing scenes and kind of trying to pick them apart. And that's definitely one I want to watch because that was like my big stress. I was like, wheels, you can't just zoom in and be like, hi, I fucked up people's lives, but I power through. Also, you'll get through cancer. <laughs> like, come on. Wheels of like, you know, okay, so goodbye, wheels. Um, goodbye, Emma's dad. <laughs> I honestly forgot that even happened this season. That was season episode one and two. Shane, we met for a minute. <laughs> Goodbye, Shane. We hardly knew ye. I, I had no connection to Shane whatsoever. Well, like, it was, uh, it's also rough because it's just like this, it's just like, why did you torture us in this way? You know what I mean? Like, why did you take this time to write two episodes, tortured us, watching Emma, like, have to process the fact that her father has a traumatic brain injury, put her family through all this strife and shit like that, only to have the character be like, one and done. Yeah, now, I remember seeing Shane at the end of season, at the end of episode one, and being like, oh, Jesus, better turn on the Skyrim, I need something to, like, help me get through this. Right? It was just, like, it was a lot of turmoil as a viewer for something that ultimately has no actual, like, no real impact on the canon of the next generation. Obviously, it has a lot of impact on Degrassi High. Huge impact on Degrassi High, and a huge impact on Spike's character. And I understand why they had to address it. But I do wish that, you know, if this was such a moment that they had to address, I wish it was done in a way just better. But whatever. Um, it was an horror episode to hear our in-depth problems with it. Yeah, because there's a lot. Um, farewell to Tracker. 
Tracker, you were with us for three seasons. One episode will forever stand out in my mind about why you had such a weird look that was never explained and then gone again. Yep. Inexplicable Axl Rose look. Was that, like, his last episode? And they're just like, fuck it. Like, what, with this? I mean, I don't actually know if it was just the actor wanting to move on to other things or what. No, what I'm saying is, like, in the shooting schedule, he's just like, look, I'm leaving. And like, Look, I'm dying my hair blonde. <laughs> I'm, like, gonna start wearing bandanas now. They're like, fuck it, okay. But, like, they're like, okay, well, I mean, that's not gonna be your last... We've already shot your last episode, like, just based on the shooting schedule. <laughs> like... Yeah, farewell Tracker, farewell jokes about Tracker's band, which I'll miss I way know. more. I know, R.I.P. our extended universe about Tracker's band. Damn it. I, um, I like those jokes more than I like Tracker. That's true. Um, you know, farewell to Kendra, which is rough because I actually ended up liking Kendra a lot more than I did as a kid. <laughs> um, she has to go participate in a sports anime. Right. Well, I think the thing with Kendra is, like, I feel like the thing about Kendra is that she's a character that I feel like would be much more successful now. Yes. I think she was ahead of her time. And and I don't mean that in, like, a spoofy way. I mean that in the sense that, like, anime and how we view anime is very different now. Like, back then, it, you know, there was a lot more uh, gripes with, like, oh, you're the weirdo kid that likes anime. The idea of having a jock that's really into anime in, in 2019 is literally, like, go down the hall of any high school and, like, hear the basketball team screaming about One Punch Man. Like, that's just <laughs> what it is now. Who's your favorite character in anime? Yeah, but, like, here, like, number one, the writers didn't really know what they were doing. Number two, it just, I feel like she, she was just ahead of her time. And, and it's a shame because there was a lot of good pieces to her. Like, she's adopted, she's brother's spinner. Like, you know, she's someone that I would have loved to see from the jump. She's someone I would love to see stay. I understand, from my understanding, this was a case of, like, the actress, like, the parents didn't really want her on the show mm-hmm. anymore, and that's the risk you run with kid actors. There is a part of me that kind of wishes they just pulled a Fosters and just, like, fucking replaced the kid and yeah. just went with it. Like, oh, well, we just switched actors, and that's just how it fucking is. But I I do, I could see why Degrassi didn't opt to do that. Yeah. I, I think that that's a risk. Number one, that's a huge risk. Number two, I don't know. I just could see Degrassi fandom having such an issue with a switched actor. Yeah. They don't seem to be the types to just roll with that. I honestly, I was about to make a joke about she had to get, she had to, like win a volleyball tournament to get into college but i was like that's just a sports scholarship yeah right that is just a sports <laughs> she has like 20 sports scholarships by the time she graduates but yeah like i i miss her i feel like there was a lot of potential there um it kind of sucks because you know she's just gonna fall into the degrassi void and spinner is gonna be an only child again and that's just how it is yeah um and the big farewell is really to terry <sighs> terry it's, it's hard. Terry's been one of the principal characters from the jump. She never really reached her potential, quite frankly. But I really did like her when I watched it this time around. It's... Like, she's the second victim of toxic masculinity on this show. Yeah. And, like, my main worry is that... <sighs> I 
I mean, it's the same word I have with Dean, that, like, he won't get his. Yeah. Like, because that's... Degrassi at least won't shy away from the reality of that. It's true. It's it's one of those things where sometimes, yeah, it's... Sometimes they do get away with it. Sometimes the villains win. Yeah, and that's the hardest thing, and especially in this world. In this corner of, like, abusers. Like, sometimes abusers fucking win, especially men. And it's... It's just such a hard thing to process. And and with her, it sucks because it's like she was always kind of a victim of circumstance. Like she she was always just kind of so sweet to a fault. Whether it was in season two where she's trying to run interference with Paige and Ashley. Um, whether it's just kind of like some of the miscommunications and conflicts that she had during the whole entire series like you know her whole entire run of the series but i was very charmed by her like there's a lot about her that felt very real i think there's a reason like i think we've talked about this a bit on the show about how like as adults i feel like you like terry much more you notice her much more because like when you're able to kind of be at a distance of teenagers you're like no that's a good kid i like her like (laughs) she's nice she's not a fucking monster like she's good when she when you're young, she's the wet blanket friend. When yeah. you're older, she's the mom friend. Yeah, yeah. You like you see her more like that, and then you're like you know you're like yeah no Terry's cool. A, a lot of guests on our show really liked her. Veterans liked her, and new people liked her. Like yeah. newcomers would come on and be like, oh, I really like Terry. Like we had multiple people, but literally like some of their only episodes they saw were of her. Gwyn legitimately was like, I want to be on like every Terry episode. I want to see her <laughs> off. Like, uh, she's she's a character who I think adults probably like much more than kids. I think that that said, she still never really reached her potential as a character. I think mm. that her thing with Spinner, I really wanted to see through. I really yeah. wanted to see her with Spinner. I really wanted to see her, uh, like, be able to cut loose and, you know, not just be... I don't know, just, like, be a kid. We wanted Terry to be happy. Yeah, like, I really wanted her to be happy. She's gone through a lot. She, I also really wanted to see her connect more with Craig. Like, we had that really moving Mm. moment in the end of season two, and that was literally the only scene those two interacted with each other. Yeah. That was it. And, and I feel like there were a lot of misconnections in that sense. I think that, you know, though her conservative views sometimes were distressing, I do also feel like that was an interesting kind of thing to work with. I don't know. I feel like there was a structure there. I feel like there was some sort of, of just apprehension in making her be more of something, and that is a bummer. I, you keep calling Terry conservative. I, all Terry said was, babies are adorable. <laughs> no, I'm referring to some of her comments in um, Don't Believe the Hype. Oh, right. And... I forgot about those. Yeah, like, y- you right. start thinking about them and they add up. <laughs> like I said, I don't really think, like, there are any, like, there's something that you, you pick up on if you listen to her in, like, classroom scenes. Yeah, I, for, like, I completely forgot about those, but because it just was like... Terry had a very different storyline this time. Yeah, I mean, that's the thing. It's like, I don't think it's like the end of the world and, you know, there's something to be said about having that perspective, blah, blah, blah. But, you know, I do feel like she just never quite reached her potential. It's always a shame to see a fat character get treated like shit. 
And I do wish that, I don't know, I just wish she was treated better by both the characters and the writers. Yeah. So, goodbye. Farewell. Yep. Um, But let's welcome aboard some new crew. Um, So, um, we'll start with, uh, we'll just get the heavier introductions out of the way first. Um, We really begin to get to know Chris and Towers while we try to get to know Towers. (sighs) I put them together because I feel like they both, unfortunately, are what made this season, like, you know, made me fucking mad a lot of this season because I feel like they were two examples of black boys done with no sensitivity whatsoever. Yeah, they're just there. Yeah. It's a shame because I think that Chris, there's, like, some sort of of skeleton there of, like, a good character, right? You have a character who is a DJ, he likes reading, um, you know, you can see that he has some form of common ground with Emma, even though Emma is horrendous at handling it. And I feel like there was something there that just never really got to work out. And that was definitely a shame. And Towers... <sighs> Towers needs a line. Towers was a character I forgot existed, number one. Number two... Um, God, I don't even know what... It was just It was just a bad time. Like, this character is done in a way that just is so insensitive... So mean spirited, um, and it's just very frustrating. And it was frustrating to watch. And I don't even hate the idea of him dating Liberty. Like I don't hate that. I think that has potential there and things like that. But I also don't trust these writers. I mean, I'm just keep projecting all the thing, all the things I want Towers to say to Liberty. Like, yeah. Just him building up her self-esteem. And you know what? I feel like I can because you don't give him a fucking line Writers of Degrassi. It's, like, not even funny, though. You know what I mean? Like, it's not really, like, outside of him, like, trying to, like, you know, make a threatening pose in the window. It doesn't even come off like it's supposed to be a gag. It's just, like, this weird thing. He's like, oh, this is Towers. He's stupid. Like, that's literally it. Yeah, like, it's literally, like, we described it as, like, what if Jay and Silent Bob was mean? Yeah, like, it's just, like, that's the thing. Like, I keep coming back to this idea of, like, it being mean-spirited. Yeah. Like, it's just not fun. It's not funny. It's not interesting. It's it's nothing. And it makes him nothing. And it's very frustrating. Yeah. Um, another character introduces Jay, which is... You know, a bully character. We talked about how this kind of ramped up the antagonism in a more structured way. Um, he makes me laugh even though he's an asshole. He he does horrible things that I do not co-sign. But, you know, he does make for good TV. Yeah. Um, also with Jay. He walked out of an after-school special into Degrassi and they're like... <laughs> Like, we think you're the wrong place. Then one of the writers is like, I can do something with him. Right. Um, but then also... <laughs> He's like, I'm here to give you weed? It's like, no, no, no. You're just here to, like, glower. No, you're just here to steal tech. Like, don't worry about it. <laughs> <laughs> you're here to do some fucking... Like, make Sean do some fucking shit to your car. Don't worry about it. <laughs> He's like, oh, so I'm not selling weed. Okay. <laughs> um, coming with Jay, we also get Alex. My lady bully. Alex is the MVP of that crew. <laughs> I love Alex. I love her. She is so good. I love 
Mean girls. I love mean, difficult girls. It is a curse. I, like, totally do not want to be the type of person that is, like, you know, co-signing their behavior. But, God, I love bad girls. They're just fun. Alex is fun. And I think that's the thing. And Alex, Alex has a level of, I don't know, she's funny, number one. She Mm -hmm. fucking cracks me up. But number two, she is the one that tries to console Amy when she is, like, fucked up. Like, she is the one that tries to intervene in that. I guess we can also talk about Amy a little bit. Amy's kind of nothing, though. Like, Amy... Amy is the non Like, I feel like they were just like, Alex is something, Amy is going to be what Alex would have been. Yeah, it's almost like, like, the Alex actress just kind of showed, like, you know, brought her material, like, brought her A-game, and they were like, oh, we're gonna develop that more. Sorry, Amy. Yeah. Um... But yeah, Alex is, I love Alex. She's a delight to me. Like, she's not perfect. She's mean sometimes. But, like, damn, she's she's fun. I mean, she reminds me so much of Rosa Diaz. Like, um, but not, like, with as good a heart. <laughs> because, like, Rosa Diaz is not on the grift all the time and is a cop. <laughs> like, but it's just, like, I just... Ah, uh, just... I'm waiting for the moment where she just casually pulls out a switchblade. Right? Like, she's just... Oh but doesn't, like, threaten anybody. She, like, picks her teeth with it. She's, like, yeah. <laughs> during conversation. Yeah, imagine, like, it's, like, Degrassi, like, has to have, like, metal detectors. And they're, like, Alex, what do you got? She's, like, hold on. Like, she's, like, the one who, and she, like... <laughs> she, like, reaches into her cheek and, like, pulls out the, like... The paper cutter she had in there. She's, like, the one with the gag with, like, the tiny knives in the shoes. Like, she's kind of that <laughs> gag where she's just like, oh, hold up. Oh, hold up. Oh, like, I forgot about that. <laughs> and they're just like, lockpicking tools? These are definitely illegal. She's <laughs> like, eh. Sometimes you need them. Like, I just, I love her. She's, like, very comical, like, very fun. She's, she reminds me, honestly, of a female Fonzie. Ooh. Hmm. Like, I, I just think, hmm. like, I could just see her kicking the, like, jukebox to get it work. Like, she's just, she cracks me up. If she wasn't, you know, banned from the dot. Yeah, right. If she wasn't fucking banned from the dot, maybe. <laughs> she's just, like, the jukebox all work. She's not getting the windows out. Let me back in. <laughs> <laughs> no, I really love her. I think she's a really good addition. I look forward to um, more of her. Sorry, spoiler. You get more content. Oh, no. I'm into it. Yeah, I, I really love her. Um, I, w- I want her to start a girl, ga- girl game. <laughs> oh my god. She would be so good. I just, I just love her. Like, I just want her doing anything, everything. Pouring popcorn on Marco. Like, I don't give a shit. Just, like, give me... It, whenever she's on screen, I'm happy. I'm not doing this because you're gay. I'm doing this because you're annoying. <laughs> she's just like... Like, her moment where she just is like, So, are you going to give me $20 after, like, I'm being asked to get popcorn? God, she's an icon. I love Alex. Oh, God. Oh, what a fucking icon. Um, also, the final character I want to welcome aboard, even though he's only there for a hot second, is Billy Ray Cyrus. <laughs> Dallas. <laughs> that was my favorite cameo. It's also very timely because of... Is that actually Billy Ray Cyrus? Yeah, it is. <laughs> Deadass. Like, very timely, considering um, the Old Town Road remix being so popular at the time of recording. 
Um, but it is really delightful and just like a very odd cameo. Like in this season, we also had like a Toronto Blue Jays player, but like that makes sense. Like I expect Degrassi to have a Toronto Blue Jays player. I don't expect them to have fucking Billy Ray Cyrus. Much to think about. My God. How old is Miley Cyrus at this point? At this point, I don't know. Because like, how did they get a hold? Was was somebody in his family into Degrassi? Well, that's what yeah. I'm, that's what I'm wondering about. Was Miley Cyrus? No, <laughs> she would have been ninety two. She was born in ninety two. Oh yeah, so she would have. I don't and, know. And this took place in two thousand three. Then no, she would have been like eleven. Yeah, I don't know. I I did not look up like why he no. ended up. Yeah, not eleven. Why he ended up there? Although a little a uh, little uh, magic behind the scenes. Uh, we haven't recorded the finale episode yet, so maybe I'll research it and we can edit this out later. Um, but yeah, no, Billy Ray Cyrus being the fucking she- season finale was good. It's he just, sold it. I'm like, okay, so here's the thing that I was going to bring up on the finale episode. Maybe I'll cut this out if you're no. talking about it. But just like, his car is trash. Like, it has, you know, a... Doesn't have a bull skull on the front. It has a cowboy hat. It's good. <laughs> and like, but my my thing is just like you see dudes who are so shitty at like like shitty at their job, but they still keep the jobs. Like they must be good at some parts of this job. Yeah. <laughs> oh man, no, he was he was a gem. He was a joy. Like he stepped out of that car. I'm like, what the fuck is this? <laughs> It was so good. It was it was such a worthwhile cameo. That was worth what, however much money he asked for. <laughs> At one point, when he's just like says to Jim, like, "Watch your dress." I'm like, "That's not even like a homophobic slur because he's literally wearing a dress. He's just being conscientious." <laughs> it's just like I do. I would crack up because there there is some weird stuff um, with the especially the later part of the season where, like, the DVD. D's have very different summary episodes. Like, they had, in the finale was originally two parts, and they had to turn it into one part, and they had to do, like, all this type of stuff. What if it was because of the budget of getting Billy Ray Cyrus? <laughs> they were like, guys, sacrifices have to be made. <laughs> we got a fucking Billy Ray Cyrus who wants to make a cameo in Degrassi. What are we gonna, what do we gotta do to make him able to go on? <laughs> if they remade this now, it would be Kid Rock. I would fucking cry. No, it would still be Billy Ray Cyrus. <laughs> <laughs> Here's the truth, it would still be him. Um I'm really glad like my series came out with that um broken heart song. It's super good. I haven't heard it yet. Yeah. But she did a uh, her and Sam Ronson did a super great performance on SNL of it. Cool. Um but yeah, no, I those are kind of the the new folks, so we'll see what what becomes of them. Well, I don't think Dallas is going to become anything. No, but he's, I just wanted to spotlight him cuz he's it was the he, light. He's heading off to one-off character Green Room forever. That's fine. That's a good space. Um Oh, and actually I want to throw in um Andrew the waiter. Yes, Andrew the waiter. The poor got, got put fu- upon waiter. Fucked over multiple times. But got his. He did. Got his revenge. He did. So, shout out to Andrew. Uh, I felt so... That did make me feel bad for Jimmy. Being... Taking in the brunt of Andrew's vengeance, but, like... Yeah, but I'm glad that... that Of all the weird things that you could have dropped, that was not... It's like, that meant something. It was just, like... Pay your fucking weights down. And also the fact that, like, he saw them and it's just like... Oh... They're back. Should, them. I, should I deny them service? 
Should I call the cops? No. <laughs> no, I got a better idea. No, that was that was fun too. Um, I'm glad he got his. Thank God. Um, let's talk critic feedback. Okay. This season was viewed very favorably. Um, unsurprising. Unsurprising. A lot of critics. This was really where Degrassi was beginning to be considered favorable in critic circles. So there's a lot of quotes that you can find online of people talking about this season. The abortion episode made a lot of people notice it. Um, both its censoring in the U.S., but also just the episode in general got a lot of attention during this time. So I think this was really where season one and two, a lot of it was kind of like, oh, it has some good moments, you know, you can see some of the charm of it, but we'll see how it goes. This season was where people were really like, no, Degrassi is something worth watching. Um, its ratings jump in Canada went up 44% compared to the season before. Um, was the most watched domestic drama series, not very surprising, especially from what Finch, friend of the show Finch has told us about Canadian programming. But it was, it was doing well. Um, but, um, I wanted to pull a quote from a critic, Tim Goodman. He was from, he was writing for the San Francisco Chronicle. Um, and he specifically said about Degrassi, he said, Degrassi in the next generation has cultivated a loyal audience by avoiding the sugarcoating niceties of old school teen TV and by treating those 10 to 14 year olds as, well, not adults per se, but definitely maturing viewers, which I really like the way that they put it. And I feel like it kind of embodies what I like about Degrassi and why I revisit Degrassi so much in the sense that it's like, it... Adults enjoy it, like plenty of adults like Degrassi, but kids genuinely enjoy Degrassi as well. And I think it's because it, it, it toes a line very well of creating media for kids without it like baby talking them. Yeah. I think that, you know, some episodes may come off a little immature, but like that's like drive with the fucking cheese whiz. It's, it's not relentless. Like mm. I think that happens sometimes with series like this, especially when you have kid actors in it. This definitely feels like something that, you know, kept, people kept saying, like, oh, watch 13 Reasons Why with your kids. And I've heard so many mixed things about that. that I, <sighs> yeah. But, like, I feel, I feel like you could sit down and watch Dick Rossi with your kids and be like, yeah, no, like, let's, let's have a chat about this. Yeah, and, like, you could be engaged, too. Like, it's something that you can show an adult and it's still entertaining. Like... Yeah. That's why it has a wide range of viewers. Like, yeah. that's why you have such, like, it's like the, what, like, 0 to 49 base or whatever it is. Something something ridiculous like that. Like, the reason why you have so many people liking it is because of that. The reason why, like, teenagers genuinely like Degrassi is because it still works. And the reason why adults like it is because it's still engaging. Like, I, w I, went, I was at a fucking art show for my kids in the middle school and I was looking around. And, like, there were, like, these little autobiographical, um, like, like collages that some of the kids did. And one of the ones that the kids did had Degrassi in it. Mm. And, and that's something we said. Like, you know, a middle schooler in 2019 still likes Degrassi. Yeah. Like, clearly something is being done correctly, if that's the case. Yeah. It's, it's effective. Um, and, uh, it's just, like... If something is done well, it's going to resonate forever. Yeah. It's like, yeah. it's the reason Lord of the Rings still brings in new fans, why, like, you know, certain music still pulls in people. Exactly. I, I think it really embodies that. Um, 
it also got a lot of acknowledgement from like glad and the advocate and groups like that specifically in media uh areas like that because of the marco and dylan stuff um so in terms of awards i don't know what the fuck canadian the canadian awards junket was doing because the fucking directors guild awards in canada gave outstanding achievement in a tv series in the category of family for fucking holiday (laughs) what how bad was the competition that year that holiday won? i want to know is Canadian TV that bleak? Because that episode was horrendous. Um, anyway, um, there also was a screenwriting award for um, Best Youth Script for Pride, which does not shock me. It's a great episode. Um, Best Direction from the Gemini Awards for Pride does not shock me. Um, Jake Epstein got nominated again for Best Actor this season for Should I Stay or Should I Go? Um you know, say what you will about Craig as a character, that actor always fucking brings it. Yeah. He 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 does. It's he's he's making something out of nothing sometimes. I'm not angry with you, Jake. I'm angry with Craig. Right? It's like, Jake, I need you to step aside. I'm mad at Craig. Jake's like, uh put on the jacket so I can yell at you. Right. Um it also got a best writing nom from the Gemini Awards for Accidents Will Happen, which I totally understand given the time period, especially um, and the GLAAD Awards, it won Outstanding Drama Series. Um, so overall, really positive attention. Like, last time we, like, you know, the last two seasons, we, I was trying to kind of fib my way through it and being like, oh, like, what episodes were ranked? Or, like, you know, what episodes were ranked high on IMDb? But now we're seeing, like, genuine critical response to the season. Um, and general, and genuine, like, you know, accolades for it. Because there were a lot of things that were done very well this season. Um, especially with regards toward that time period. Um, are you ready for superlatives? Sure. All right. So first category, this is the same categories we do every season. So you probably are familiar with these. We have 10. Um, and first one is best all around. I went with Ellie. Marco. That's fair too. I think both I toss up Ellie I gave a little bit more because I really wanted to commend her for being a kid who is mentally ill, but still able to, like, you know, have a life in in, in the show outside of mental illness. Mm-hmm. Not to say that, like, Marco's anxiety is not real or anything like that. I, I just feel like Ellie, like, there's something about about her and how she's viewed in this season that really makes her sore. Yeah. Like I said, though, I would give it to either. Like, that's not... Well, I mean, most spirits in my old yearbooks had, like, both boy and girl. That's true. So, well, now nowadays it's just two spots, which yeah. I really like. So, like, they don't they do not uh, do it as gendered, which I really appreciate. Yeah, no, that, that makes... That's much better. Um, so, the next one is Biggest Flirt. Frank, who is your biggest flirt? <sighs> Gotta go to Dylan. Oh, he's real good. He's real dreamy. <laughs> he reminds me so much of, like, okay, so I just saw, um, uh, The Sun is Also a Star with, um, Charles Melton, mm-hmm. and just Charles Melton is just bringing that charm, and I was just like, eh, Dylan brings that charm, too. He's very charming. Oh, my God. Because it's not, it's not just about how charming and flirty he is. It's also, like... The experience behind it. Oh my god, when he just like looks at Mike and he goes, guilty as charged. It's like, oh, oh, I'm swooning. 
Um, I went with Hazel because whenever I think of flirting, I cannot forget the time in the park where, like, five people are surrounding her, and she's just, like, totally just, like, that having, the, like, the focus of attention and everything. She's also just super flirty, and now she has, she got Jimmy, so good for her. She was in, like, the long haul on that one. Yeah. But, um, I love her. Um, Class Clown. I, I don't really know. I guess it's still JT. I don't know who else would take it is kind of the thing. Especially because, like, Spinner's class clownery is kind of taking a back seat. Yeah. Um, yeah, I'll give it to JT. He's still trying to be funny. Yeah, I mean, yeah. Fry guy. Okay, if we're going by how much people have laughed at or with him over this season, the Fry thing is definitely caused probably peals of laughter. <laughs> yeah. Maybe not quite how he intended, but yes. Um, cutest couple. Who's your cutest couple? Uh, Are you going to go canon or non-canon route? I'll go both. Um, All right. Cutest couple. Because I want to award the oh, cutest couple is obviously Marco and Dylan. Duh, that was mine. <laughs> Predictable. Headcanon is Paige and Ellie. That one's good too in a different way. <laughs> um, but yeah, mine was Marco and Dylan. Like, it, it's good shit. It's just very sweet and very, like, romantic. It's, like, romantic in the very sincere sense. Like, it's not just, like, I feel like sometimes romance and teen dramas, it's just, like, I'm just slogging through this plot point because I got to. Um, but this one, it was, like, a genuine joy watching them get together. It's, like, oh, yeah, like, I want that. Like, it's it, you actually ship it by, by, like, you know, by the end. Yeah. Um, or during it. Uh, do you, like, do you have a headcanon one? I have a headcanon one. I mean, I like Ellie Page. That one's very good. Um, I would also say Alex in any female character. Oh, God, Alex is... You ever look at a character and you're like, you were supposed to be gay? <laughs> yes. <laughs> Alex. Alex with a girl. Honestly, all the girls... I just want them to have girlfriends. I want Manny... To be with somebody who actually gives her oh. respect and love. Yes. Um, I think that is it. It's like Manny and... Because I, I don't want to say self-respect because I feel like that's very demeaning. I don't mean that. Yeah. But like, or maybe like Manny and like self-love. Manny and a life that's not hell. Yeah. Manny and a pedicure and a manicure and like a... <laughs> A massage. That's what I'm saying. Like, Manny and Alex would also work really well for me. That'd be interesting. Yeah. <laughs> just, like, I think I mentioned it on one of the episodes where it's just, like, somebody, like, makes a snide comment as they're passing, El- uh, passing Manny all of a sudden from, like, downtown. You say, I go, the fuck you say? <laughs> yeah, right? Like, that would be good. Yeah, like, I think that's a, that's, that's a pretty good non-canon direction to go. I feel like whenever we go, is like, what is your non-canon ship? All of it is just, like, girls. <laughs> girls, I've heard of them. But it's the same thing with, like, making, like, head ships. It's just, yeah. like, if the boys were less trash, I would make those. But, God, the girls are so, they should just be with each other. Yes. Oh, my God. Um, life of the party. I went with Hazel. I mean, come on. She's, like, the actual life of the party. The thing about Hazel is she's actually, she's incredibly delightful for to me for a character who is woefully underutilized. Mm-hmm. Like, for what we get of her, she's great. And and I think a lot of that is to the credit of the actress. 
Um, I think she's a fucking blast. The fact that in Take On Me, she's just fucking like, I kissed Toby, what the fuck? <laughs> I thought was really fun. Um, so she's the life of the party for me. How about you? Uh, I want to go with Ellie. Interesting. Just because, like, Ellie is there for all Sean's dumb parties. That's true. That's true. And it just, like, it doesn't make any sense to me. Because it's just, like, we've seen Ellie just being, like, on the gob, on doom and gloom. Yeah, like, sitting with a parasol on the beach. Yeah. Oh, I forgot that that scene. So good. (laughs) Just also laughing to be like, that beach is ugly. So good. (laughs) Um, But she's just like, yeah, no, yeah, it's party. Like, and you gotta imagine, like, all those drunks and stoners must be completely enraptured when she tries to talk to them about legitimate, like things. Can you imagine, like, her being, like, like, talking about, like, Jesus, fuck, I can't even think. I'm trying to think of something that would have been directly relevant in, like, that, that time period, but her just kind of, like, going off on them and be like, wow, wow, that is fucked up. You're <laughs> right, Ellie. And she's like, thanks. Yeah, I know. <laughs> but, um, I like that. Uh, most athletic. Kendra. R.I.P. Kendra. Yeah, it has to go to her. Is there any sport she doesn't do? I don't think so. I think we finally clocked in at, like, eight sports. Yeah, something like that. Let's see, gymnastics, basketball, field hockey, floor hockey, soccer, softball, chess. You mentioned gymnastics, right? Yeah. Uh, fuck. Figure skating. Yes. Right. That's eight sports. God. Um, most changed. I went with Manny. We really haven't talked that much about Manny. Quite frankly, I didn't want to because it made me sad. Manny's had a tough fucking season. Yeah, it's been a bad year for Manny. It's been... It was unrelenting. And I think that's why I don't like thinking about it that much. Because it's like... She even says it herself. Like, how everything fucking sucks. And she has very little to actually look forward to. And it's incredibly dark. Yeah. And and hard. Because it literally is like... Episode 3, she's exploring her sexuality and dressing more provocatively... And, you know, then becomes, like, the other woman, gets an abortion, loses all her friends, um, legitimately is on the outs of the school in general. Outs on, she's on the outs of the DVD cover. Yeah, like, she's just treated like shit, and it, it's really hard. Like, I'm now thinking about that. How, how, no, never mind. I was gonna say, without accidents will happen, like, does that DVD cover make sense? Like, it still does. Yeah, no, it still does. But like, it's just, like, she goes from, like, the mountain of the most self-confidence of any female character in the show. Yeah. And then the mountain just explodes underneath her. Yeah, and it, it's hard because it's, like, on one hand, you can't dismiss the realism of it. At the same time, it fucking hurts. And it sucks re- watching a, you know, watching a kid who is, a like, you know, a person of color going through this. It sucks watching a kid who you've grown to love the past two seasons and see how idealistic she was and to watch it shatter pretty much in real time like in throughout the series is heartbreaking it's like what is left for her like her idea of romance is gone like her her concept of self is gone like everything was taken away from her yeah like obliterated and i can only hope that you know things will get better for her because they literally can't get any worse more or less. I don't want to think about how they can get worse. Well, let's... Man, do I. Let's move on, please. All right, who is the most changed for you? Manny. Well, I agree yeah. completely. Okay. Most likely to succeed. Who? To you. Alex. <laughs> oh, I love it. 
<laughs> I love this like Alex, like pro Alex agenda that you have taken on. Um, I still stick with Ellie. I think that she's a kid who can persevere, and I think we've seen it. We've seen her. <laughs> what? Oh, sorry. <laughs> I when you said. Ellie, I just imagine the two like tag teaming. That'd be good. And it's just like Alex, man, we're gonna fight our way out. It's like Alex, stop suggesting that we can, that's not the solution to everything. I was like, fuck you, we're gonna fight, right? They they said shit that you don't like, so let's do it. And Alex's like, Ugh. we're in a nunnery. Right? It's just like we are in the cloisters. We cannot do this. Um, but, I'm sorry for interrupting. Yeah. Um. But yeah, um, with Ellie, I feel like she she was balancing a lot of shit and doing well. Um, I think the argument can also be said for Marco, who was dealing with a lot of shit and was still able to, you know, be active in school, in uh, activities and things like that. But I think Ellie was the character that we saw her, though she struggled at times, was able to do a co-op that she really enjoyed, was able to deal with the bullshit at home, was able to deal with the bullshit with Sean, was able to deal with everything with with a lot of drive in her, and I, I really appreciate that. I like our level of success is, can you handle being a teenager? You're gonna succeed. I mean, I think with Ellie, though, if you can deal with all that shit and still be very true to yourself, I think the thing about Ellie also that I feel like you can't dismiss is, like, She's not, she doesn't waver like Emma does in terms of, like, trying to do things. Like, she's very much, like, attuned to what needs to be done and very much attuned to, like, trying to reveal the truth, basically. Mm-hmm. Like, she, she's trying to interview for various, like, you know, the newspaper for her co-op and things like that. Like, she she's dedicated in a way that Emma is not. Yes, I agree. Um, and in a way most teenagers are not. I think she's a very dedicated kid. Yeah. Uh, most unforgettable. I went with Marco. I can never forget that kid. I don't think a lot of it necessarily has to do with his personality, because as we've talked about, he doesn't take up the most space as a character. But I think that he is a fucking gem of a character, and I think that he is a character that, you know, if you are interested in writing gay characters, or if you just want to see a good gay character, he is the one that you have to go to. Yeah. I agree with that completely. Um, and then finally, most unique. This one's hard because I feel like a lot of characters slipped into a trope at this point. And then it's just a matter of how many, or like an archetype. I feel like a lot of them are very like in it, in a structure. How many does it go with Paige? Yeah, Paige is Paige a good one. still continues to buck her trope. She does. I, I think that Spinner is an interesting juggernaut as well. In the sense that, like, he is towing the line between different groups. Like, he dresses like a skater kid, but he's definitely more of a popular kid. Like, it's weird because I feel like he's kind of an anomaly in many ways. But not in a way that feels wrong. Like, I feel like there are some kids that are just inexplicably that way. Mm -hmm. In fact, now that I think about it, I knew a kid in high school who was kind of like that. Um, so maybe we're on to, maybe the writers were on to something there with having a kid that just is not quite, doesn't quite make sense to a certain extent, but not in a bad way. You, that was in my high, my high school, but we, I always referred to in my head as good time stoner kid. Yeah. He just brought good times with him. I could just kind of traverse through. Yeah. He kind of has a mutability to him that, that is just, it's interesting in a way. Yeah. Um, 
But now we're kind of in our wrap-up phase. What is your rating for this season, Frank? I'll give it a solid A-. Yeah, I think I think it's a good season. Yeah. I think there's a lot of episodes to kind of go off of. I don't think there's anything that, other than Holiday, is like a true, honest-to-God clunker. I think we still suffer from like a strong A-plot versus a disposable B-plot. But I also understand that's kind of the risk you run with this writing format as well. Yeah. Um, I think it just ma- I think it's just a matter of kind of like how the writing team wants to do it. Do they just want to plug and chug a B plot or do they want to create a B plot that truly complements the A plot? And you know, who knows what are the restraints on that one? Yeah. It also could hinge on like what actors they have available and things like that. I just don't know. Yeah. But yeah, I-, I think season three is a step up from season one, a step up from season two for sure. Um so my question to you, Frank, because I can't reveal, I'm gonna be honest with you. Season four, I was, like, preparing stuff for season four, and and the season's kind of imprinted on me in some way that I cannot quite describe. So I need to ask you this, like, what do you want to see from season four? Okay, so I was thinking about this, and this is probably just going to become a fan fiction. That's fine. (laughs) But. But. (laughs) I want Marco to either put together a play, or just have a daydream, or just a fantasy of himself as a private investigator. (laughs) Interesting. And just everybody's there. That is not what I expected you to respond with, okay. but I am not opposed to it. Pam is the dame that comes into the office. Um, Spinner is the hired muscle. Um, Jimmy is the boxer who doesn't want to take a fall. Um, uh, Terry runs a bar called Terry's. Cute. Um, I had this all played out in my head. Oh, Ellie and Craig are a reporter and her photographer. Okay. Um, Ashley's the singer at the bar, and it's just, like, just them doing, like, 1950s detective work stuff. Um, but yeah, no, I don't know why that popped in my head, but I was like, that would be so adorable. I would love it. Sure. I love it. It's weird and zany. I like it. Oh, and she needs to find, uh, Paige needs to find her brother. And Marco's like, I know him well. Ooh. <laughs> you should just write this. It's gonna be a fanfic show. You should just write some Degrassi fanfic. That's clearly culturally relevant in 2019. <laughs> That'll be our mid-season break from season four. But... Right, we just collab on a fic. Um, now, uh, I don't, like, honestly, the two big thing like, Here's the thing, I haven't been spoiled as to what happens, but, like, you know, the YouTube suggestions, like, I know where it comes back. Mm -hmm. But, like, I don't want that so much. Like, we didn't, we barely talked about Rick, but it's just like... Why would we want to? You you notice we, we shied away from the most painful parts of the season. And I feel like that's just because they fucking hurt. Yeah. It's it's not that we don't have anything to say, but I think it becomes a dirge very quickly if we start talking about that. Yeah, we, we got it out in the episodes. Yeah. But yeah. it's just like... Like... I, they they made mention of, like, Paige's going after Dean, and I'm wondering if that's going to come back. Like, I'm wondering if, like, things are going to get settled with Ellie and her mom, like, now that that's introduced, and, like, Ellie and her self-harm. You know, they have they have all these balls in the air, and I'm just wondering which one's going to come back down. Yeah. 
No, that's fair. But like, at least some of the 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 Drake. I feel like the Drake music video. I'm like slowly piecing back together. <laughs> like, I'm like, okay, this is where this piece fits. So I'm like, oh, that's why they were chasing Rick. Yeah. So. Yeah, I, I'm glad you are beginning to piece it together. Um, but yeah, I mean, I once again, I feel like I can't say anything, but. I look forward to working on season four with you. I look, As do I. I look forward to kind of hearing your thoughts. Um, and that's where I really want to kind of call to action. Um, we really want to do season four justice. Um, I know I want to. There's a lot of stuff in season four that just deserves to be really explored and talked about. And I really want to reiterate, like, this show is not made, is not possible, at least at the level that we want it to turn it out without guests. Like... Honestly, everybody who contributes to it leaves a mark on the show and leaves a conversation piece with the show that we just would not have without them. So I really hope that, you know, if if you know what happens in season four, cool. If you don't know what happens in season four, that's okay. We definitely want to hear people's voices. So if you are interested in signing up for an episode or two, um, definitely email us at ihopepod at gmail.com. Um, we would love to hear from you and have you aboard because there is a lot. Uh, is the field pretty much clear for season four? More or less, yeah. Um, we have a couple people. Some of our uh, go-to people have begun picking episodes, but as of the time of recording, um, we definitely have a lot of spots open. Also, a little behind the scenes, if you are somebody who's new to the scene or you have one episode you really want to go on, we will probably prioritize you anyway. So, like, don't hesitate to reach out if you're thinking, like, oh, well, you know, there's so many people they can choose from. Kind of true, but also, like, if we know that you're interested in one very specific episode because it means a lot to you or it's just a fun episode or whatever, reach out because we will definitely um, try to accommodate you if that's the case. Yeah. Um, so I guess we'll kind of go to wrapping up stuff at this point. Um, thank you so much also in general to all of our listeners um thank you to everyone who's responded on social media whether it's making corrections making statements sharing thoughts um it's been really really fun responding to you and hearing some of your takes during it um we hope you enjoyed season three and that you look forward to season four with us um if you want to keep in touch with us there's a couple ways you can do it you can email us at ihopepod at gmail.com um you can also send us clips or audio clips or text talking about your relationship with degrassi we will play on or read on air um, you can also follow us on social media at I Hope I Can Make It Through Podcast, which is our Facebook group, as well as I Hope Pod on Twitter. Um, and you can also get involved and help us make this show possible, whether it's sending us a coffee, which is uh, the link is in the description. Um, any coffee that we receive is going to be put toward tech upgrades um, and or compensating guests. Yes, if you're interested in being a guest, you can get paid for it. So more incentive. Um also, we have our review challenge, which we are still opening up to people, where once we hit 20 reviews, we are going to go back into the Degrassi archives to check out Degrassi High and Degrassi Junior High episodes, giving you more content. We're also looking at other ways to give you more content, perhaps taking a look at some other Degrassi uh, extended universe media, deleted scenes, things like that, so that you can get all of our takes, and also so we can get more context to some of these episodes, because boy howdy, sometimes we need it. Um, if you want to keep in touch with me, you can follow me on Twitter at DM is Unbreakable. 
I don't have a I don't have a Twitter, but I do have another podcast called Teen Girl Talk. I do with my sister about other teen media. And thank you so much for listening. So we are going to take a break next week. We're going to check out some Degrassi adjacent media. So if you want to follow along, we're going to be checking out the movie called Spectacular. <laughs> so if you want to try and check it out uh, ahead of time, or if you just want to hear us talk about something featuring um, Andrea, Lu- uh, Andrea, what's her last name? Lewis. Lewis. I was right. I should have just been confident. Andrea Lewis, um, Hazel's actress. Uh, we're going to be scoping that out and seeing how that goes. Um, so once again, thank you everybody for supporting us this season. We can't wait to dive into season four. Um, and as always, we hope we can keep making it through and that you're going to be there with us. So see you next week. Later. Bye. Bye.